Brennan, what's going on, Bubba? How are you? I am okay, man. Um, this morning I woke up and I was like, man, you know what I want? I want a jumbo dog from Byron's, Ooh. which is a hot dog stand here in Chicago. Little known fact, Chicago's famous for hot dogs. Um, and a special style of hot dog called the Chicago style hot dog, specifically. <laughs> um, and... Uh, <laughs> So I went and I got one, and they put some weird shit on their fucking hot dog at Byron's, man. I didn't realize that. Mm. Shit comes with, I mean, it's got the regular stuff. It's got, like, mustard, the, like, the bright green relish, sport Onions. peppers, pickle spear, tomato, right? That's mm-hmm. celery, celery salt. salt. There you go. That's normal. Shredded lettuce, green pepper, and cucumber. Get out of here. Come on. I know. Fuck out of here with green pepper, man. I, I, you know what? I think about green pepper. You could just blast it into space. I, I don't need a green pepper in my life ever. Nope. It, it, you know, I always didn't like them. And then I read that book, Fast Food Nation. And one of the facts that really stuck with me was it had to do with the, the um, sort of like the misleading ingredients in the list, natural ingredients, you know, um, mm-hmm. or natural flavorings, rather, which is flavors that come from something natural and there's like this essence of green pepper and uh they said that one drop would flavor nine olympic-sized swimming pools oh it's just so disgusting to me uh but i beyond that i fucking hate green pepper like supreme pizza no not for me yeah i mean i think i feel like it gets added on to things Without thought, like hmm, let's let's stop for a second here. You're gonna pay what two fifty for that green pepper topping? Is it gonna enhance things? Are you going to miss it if it's not there? But it's also just gonna like they're like big fleshy. It's like having an ear on your pizza, and fucking uh, and it overpowers the, the flavor of everything. And they're, they're, which is fine if it's like I don't know bacon, you know, like overpowers. The flavor, its flavor overpowers everything else. Mm-hmm. Green pepper is not as good as bacon. Um, anyway, oh no way, man! Maybe if you get some uh, bacon wrapped green pepper, you could sign me up. I mean, I'm not one of those like bacon people either. Uh, I mean, I, 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 I like bacon sausage. just fine, but I, I don't like like people that are like put bacon in my fucking milkshakes and shit. I love bacon so much, you know. I don't. I don't care. It's fine. It's good. It's nice. Anyway, Byron's is that is that Chicago is that Red Hot Chicago dog or is that a Vienna beef dog? Uh, It's a Vienna beef dog. Oh, okay. Yeah. The um. So when I was a kid, I used to go to the Byron's on Clybourne, which had like a big ass like satellites on the top of it. It was pretty cool. I'd go like after hockey games, 
and my mom would take me and like whoever she was driving to and from the hockey games there or another parent would and we would get like triple cheeseburgers i mean it's crazy to me how much i used to eat when i was a little kid um Mm -hmm. now i got like the one jumbo dog and i couldn't really finish it um but yeah there's still one on lawrence like kind of by damon and there's still one the one that i think is the original definitely the coolest one um down on irving just west of broadway and it's like a little shed and you like walk in and it's just the line like it's like they they assemble things kind of like in a way like subway does you know like where it goes down like kind of a line but it's like Mm -hmm. one person Mm -hmm. and uh that's all that's all that's in there is that and you just walk in move along with your hot dog and then you walk outside because there's no space inside pretty cool well, shout out to all of my homies up in the Northwest Illinois suburbs. Of course, the Crystal Lake Home Depot hot dog stand was my place of employment for my senior year of high school. So there's this dude. Best job I ever had. There's this dude who used to, uh, first of all, those hot dogs are actually pretty good, which is weird. And so, uh, Yeah. And second of all, they um, those are, as you know, those are like independently owned, like not by Home Depot, but by like mm-hmm. somebody who's just like... Yeah, I'll do a hot dog stand. And I knew a dude who was actually, to, to bring this somewhat around to actual punk rock. I mean, I know this is as much a culinary podcast as it is a uh, punk rock podcast. But this dude that used to promote our shows out in the Northwest, he owed two of those things. And it took care of, like, his mortgage and all his bills, everything. And then he just, like, all the money he made from shows, you know, was just, like, for cocaine and hookers and stuff you know so oh that's beautiful yeah and, and so, it's like he didn't have to do anything you know he's just like yeah i just own these hot dog stands they kind of run themselves like they had yeah. managers you know uh-huh oh that's awesome yeah so is this the person that booked the lawrence arms in eugene oregon in january of 2004 because that's what we got on the agenda for today I don't remember that show, but th- that timeline and Eugene that 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 lines up. I don't remember playing in Eugene though. Well, we'll get to that as we get to God Don't Make Trash, the first Falcon EP, as well as the first ever release on Red Scare Industries. Yes. Um this one is really exciting, um, and the, you know, the the songs on it, I think are pretty cool, uh, and it, like, sort of definitely came in a, moved me in a different direction, or it, like, freed me to expand myself at a time when, um, I mean, I was coming off having just written Oh Calcutta, and then, um, oh no, no, this was before that, never mind, um, I just like, I don't remember what this was after. It was after Greatest Story, I guess. Yep. And I think that I wanted to, uh, I wanted to do something that was a little more aggressive all the way through. Because, mm-hmm. like, I remember I was talking to Laura Jane Grace when the record came out, and she was just like, when uh, Greatest Story came out, and she said, um, I just wish it was like tougher, you know, and I don't know that like mm-hmm. really stuck with me. I was kind of like, I kind of feel that a little bit too. 
Like, I yeah. don't like wish it was different, really. I'm proud of what it is. And like, I mean, that would go on to inform the, you know, um, formation of the Falcon and like the sound of Oh Calcutta and sort of like even everything I've done pushing forward, you know, just like even like the wandering birds, it's like there's like a swagger to it. That's mm-hmm. like a, like a, like a sort of a confident toughness. I think that just like a support supposed to permeate it, the whole thing, you know, regardless of sort of genre. Um, anyway. Uh, yeah. So the real father of the Falcon is Todd Money. Um, well, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm the father of the Falcon, but he's the mother of the Falcon. Um, uh-huh. so Todd Money was huh. the guitarist of Rise Against for Revolutions Per Minute. And I've mentioned this before, but it bears mentioning specifically on this one. He was just like cool. He was like tall and lanky. Like we kind of like looked the same. We kind of had the same haircuts, same beards, wore the same kind of like button up shirts, mm-hmm. same build. He's taller than me. And like, he's like, I was like average build and he was skinny, you know, but, mm-hmm. uh, uh, he, but like I saw him, he saw me. We're both like dark, you know, and and I was just like, yeah, I like this dude already. You know, I like you kind of like got that like sort of like tribalism baked into your fucking lizard brain or whatever. Like, <laughs> or like you see somebody like you, and you're like, like if you're, yeah. <laughs> I don't know, man. Like if I was in fucking Zimbabwe and I saw like another like white guy with a beard, like <laughs> wearing a crimpshine t-shirt, I'd be like. Think I think I could talk to that guy, you know? Right, right, <laughs> sure. So, yeah, you, you, you talk to someone who's, like, vaguely Mediterranean. Yeah. And you're like, all right, cool. Like, it, on, on, on a primal level, I'm with this guy. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, like, they, they say that there's a, that is, the whole thing has a lot to do with, like, why racism persists and stuff like that is because, like, tribalism was such a, important um sort of instinctive survival device for so long mm-hmm. because it's like you stick with your family they protect you those people over there that don't look like you they want to eat you or whatever you know <laughs> and, and, and like and like that obviously the world has changed and we've become a global community and like it's absolutely foolish to maintain any sort of like conscious thoughts like that but at the same time it's it's in your dna a little bit right so anyway what i'm saying is i saw todd we kind of looked alike so we kind of like wanted to be friends right away um right and then he played the first show on the european tour with rise against and i was like oh my god he's the best guitar player and he's so cool on stage he's just like reckless he's like He's like a punk slash, but not like a punk punk slash, like a like a dude like like the Lawrence Arms kind of guy, but uh-huh. doing like slash type, you know, moves and guitar and stuff like that. And I was just like, like yeah, give me give me an example because I think that that's a lot of really relaxed swagger. How about that? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and like a lot of really competent virtuosity. At the same time, and like the kind of look on his face, like I'm not even really. I, oh, am I doing this? I didn't even notice. You yeah. know, like just like it, it was really. He was. It was really cool, and I was like, 
wow, that guy is like a really cool guitar player. And immediately I started thinking like his like whole like attitude had a lot to do with like what I was trying to capture after I'd had that conversation with Laura, um, you know, in terms of like where songwriting could go or whatever. So immediately Todd and I and Neil and Chris started a freestyle rapping uh, group, right? Oh, um, this on this is where it starts. On this tour. Okay. Uh-huh. And we start freestyle rapping and we got very, very good at freestyle rapping. It was crazy. Um, at a certain point, we ended up like about a month into the tour, we ended up playing with the Alkaline Trio and they walked in to our dressing room and I just like said hi to all of them and, you know, asked them how their tour was and, you know, told them where the catering was and everything, but it was all in rhyme. And it was like, and Matt was like, did you write this and memorize it for this moment right now? And I, was like, <laughs> I was like, no, we've been doing it every day. Like I dream in freestyle rap now. And like my brain, my brain thinks automatically in rhyme. It's pretty, it, it, it's weird how like, you, you know, I mean, they say the human body adjusts really quickly to circumstance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When the circumstances you're standing around with dudes in Europe before the internet and there's nothing to do, you freestyle rap all the time to pass the time, you become pretty good at it pretty fast. So, <laughs> but by about the third day of our freestyle group, I wanted, <laughs> I wanted more, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I was like, man, I want to be in a band with Todd and I want it to be called like The Falcon. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to have a really bombastic name. I mean, it was really like a poochie thing, you know? I was like, I don't know. I want it to be something really bombastic like the Falcon, you mm-hmm. know, but not, not the Falcon. I mean, it was kind of like, okay. Not so, the Falcon, but then it was like, like okay, no, so it's the Falcon. Yeah, the Falcon. Uh-huh. Okay, good. Uh, <laughs> so I guess what what's in your head when you come up with that name, the Falcon? Because it's a little, uh, pardon the term, like, kind of, that's a cock rock type of name, you know? Um, I, okay. My friend Chris, who um, is the guy that drew Flappy. Uh-huh. I've never, I've never told anyone this, actually. Um, no, no, never. But, uh. Anyone? Just you and me, baby. But he um he's a graffiti writer and he like he and he's also like a he likes to take pictures of graffiti. Uh and he knows that I'm like interested in that as well. And so he was sending me stuff and he at one point he said something like he, he was he was down in like like that part of the woods or whatever that the fucking buzzards go drinking you know like um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know where it's like you go down there and there's like porn stashed in the woods and there's like graffiti on an old like aqueduct or something like that sure. yeah or viaduct whatever and um and it said the black mallard and he was like that is the most like butt rock metallica fan fucking tag i've ever heard <laughs> you know like that's your graffiti name and he was like, that's like calling yourself the Falcon. Mm-hmm. And that just like, it just stuck in my brain. And I was like, that is, 
And like with the way Todd like kind of carried himself, I was like the Falcon. Like, yes, we're, you know, like it's a fucking buzzard writing graffiti on a fucking viaduct, you know? And like, and we looked like a couple of like burnouts that would hang out in the woods and like drink 40s and scare off the high school kids. You know, and like talk to their girlfriends or whatever. Like that's what we looked like at the time. And so So we started the Falcon and the original idea was that we were the Falcon was two sets of twins. Um and um and and um two of them died in a car accident. And only one of like, and so it was like there was two me's and two Todds, you know. Mm-hmm. But the uh, other Todd, uh, you know, Rod and Brandon died, and uh, <laughs> and um, and so we had to find someone else. And we were like, we're coming up with this, and Neil is right there, freestyle rapping along, <laughs> the whole thing. <laughs> and um, and and he's like, you know, and he he's coming up with as much of this as we are. You know, mm-hmm. and we're like, and you're playing the drums, right? And he's like, oh, yeah, no, I, I kind of assumed I was. And we were like, uh, I was like, I, I kind of assumed you were too. Okay, I'm just really glad we've had this conversation, you know. <laughs> and um, so Neil is the replacement for um, Todd's, uh, you know, dead, for dead, dead twin. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and by the time we got to um, Berlin... And we did that whole freestyle rapping thing for them. And they were just like, you guys are insane. And then they were trying to show off and they showed me the trick snaps. They were like doing that to like, um, it's a, it's a psychic mind reading game, but, okay. but I figured it out how they did it. And, and there's no way to figure out how you freestyle rap, baby. So we were, we, we, we were, um, but the, the whole thing was like, uh, really fun. It was a really fun reunion that day. And then, um, and then I was talking to Dan and I was telling him how we started this band. He's like, you're in a band with Todd from rise against. I, I want to be in it. And I was like, <laughs> um, okay, it, actually, how about it's your band? I don't get yeah, like, like, yes, I would love it if you were in it. And, uh-huh. and so we come back from this European tour and the Falcon is formed, you know, and, um, born, mm-hmm. On the great continent of Europe, um, which is Incredible. a landmass just east, Tim, of the British Isles. Um, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so then we get back and I'm talking to Toby about this shit. Man, I can't remember who was. I guess it was Nader. No. Let's let's pause. Okay. For a second, because we covered so much ground there. So I wanted to um, fill in some of the holes. Because um, you do after Greatest Story, you're on tour with Hot Water Music and Against Me, and oh, two separate tours. Those two separate tours. Yeah. Okay. Um. I think that you cite those two tours in particular as being very positive for your band at that time. They were mostly in terms of 
um, internal like brotherhood kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, um, it, it was interesting. It's interesting because like in some of the tours we had done before that, it was more like we had to stick with each other because everybody else was kind of not our type of people. Yeah. You know, on that one, it was like, oh, this is how it is. You roll with your gang, you know? And it was like, you know, Hot Water Music rolled like a gang and against me rolled like a gang and we rolled like a gang because like, you know, I mean, you know, there's a, there's a lot of similar DNA there. Anyway, like uh, mm-hmm. Hot Water Music against me, Lawrence Arms, there's a reason that those bands come up in the same, you know, breath a lot. You know? Yeah. But it was... It was really nice for us to be able to play in front of people that maybe were receptive to us as opposed to what the fuck is this? And it was nice to have homies on the road with. So if we got sick of one another, we'd have somebody else to talk to. And um, yeah, and it was just like, uh, yeah, those tours were great. Can't say enough nice things about everybody from Gainesville. How was the how how were the greatest story songs received on that tour and then also i guess we can include in that the headlining tour that you do in january uh with the ghost that's kind of the southeast south and west oh man i only remember one show from that tour in the southeast South and West. We didn't go up to Washington on that tour with the ghost. I think we did because that's you, where. Yeah, you probably where, went that far. That's where like Paul Northwest. Lask pissed on me um, in Bellingham, Who? Washington. Paul Lask, the guitar player for the ghost. <laughs> he ran down He, he ran down the uh, hallway. We were playing a house show, too, which makes it really nice that he was doing this. Mm. Pissing and yelling, Franzia! <laughs> Not really fully comprehending that. That's not how pissing and velocity and physics works. So he was really piss- pissing on himself. But uh, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, um, I think. Well, first of all, on the Hot Water Music tour, everything went over great because we would play right after a Static Lullaby, and I think that was. <laughs> They were the Lawrence Arms yeah, on the Yellow Card <laughs> tour of that thing, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and it was... Uh... So by the... Like... Fucking when... stupid. Oh, no. It, it went, these arms are snakes. Mm. Then us. Then Static Lullaby. And these arms are snakes are a very challenging band, you know? Yeah. So when we got up there, the people that were there for Hot Water Music were like, oh, shit. Look, it's a band of like fucking raggedy beardos. Yes, mm. I can I I can get into this, you know, and then when Static Lullaby would play, we'd have a huge rush at our merch table. Yeah. Because they'd be like, Oh yeah, okay, so that was the one band. Like that's the band I'm discovering today. You, uh-huh. you know what I mean? Like and um just because we fit in so much better with like stylistically than those two bands with mm-hmm. Hot Water. And um and those guys are Great. All, all, actually, all of those people are very nice. Um, uh, so interesting that these arms are snakes are just on that tour. They feel so separate. Yeah, totally. Um, uh, yeah, they're great. That's such a, really a weird great band. band. 
really mm. really cool mm. um and static lullaby had chris fox touring with them who's like Jason Newstead from Metallica's personal manager and uh, <laughs> Snoop Dogg's tour manager. And, oh, my God, I would just hang out with him and just be like, tell me about this. And he'd be like, man, let me tell you about that. <laughs> you know? And, like, and, and, and so. And Great was, time, too, to be talking to Jason Newstead's manager. Because yeah. he just quit Metallica. He just quit Metallica. It's true. It's true. Um, yeah, dude. Chris Fox, pretty interesting character. Um, and then what the Against Me tour was a little different because that was when Against Me was like getting injected into the veins of everybody's consciousness. Yeah. And like people were nuts for Against Me. And so I think we had a good we had good shows because People were so fucking stoked for Against Me that they were, like, stoked for us just because we were playing right before Against Me, uh-huh. you, you know? Uh-huh. Um, and uh, so the, the songs were well-received. That It did, like, create a thing where it's like... Laura's right. They're, like... If that's what you're anchoring your set list on, you're not that album. Mm-hmm. You don't sound like an aggressive live band, mm-hmm. you know, like you sound like a kind of a different sort of band. And that kind of came up a lot. And I think that we all felt that and it altered all, all of our playing and writing styles a little yeah. bit. Not, and, and also it's like, we'd kind of done that. We like experimented with like the more like straightforward pop stuff on apathy. And then we'd done this kind of schizophrenic record. And, and I think it became obvious we needed like, some meaty entrees in the uh, in the set, so to speak. You know? Totally, totally. Like, like it's not enough to just do like telephone and then get the crowd like whipped into a frenzy and then break into even something like Chapter Thirteen, which is a great fucking song, probably way better than Telephone, but like it kills the momentum a little bit of what's uh-huh. built there, and then all of a sudden you're like, Okay, so we got to win that back again, and it's like it doesn't matter how good the song is. It's like a live show is like a different, it's a different animal than like critiquing songwriting. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I, I guess I'm a little bit interested in the perspectives um, that you all have coming out of that because, I mean, what it boils down to is. Most of Chris's song songs on this new record are not working in a live setting. And I don't know, was was that ever something that you thought he w- took personally? Like, did he, was he down on, like, what he'd written? No, okay. Just off I, of that? Does that make no, sense? Yeah, but, like... Those songs were challenging in as much as we were playing to a crowd of people that don't have any idea who we are. Chris's songs on Greatest Story are some of our most popular songs live now. Mm-hmm. You know, like they work very, very well live. It's just that, like, you're playing before a bunch of amped up against me fans, you know, in like the, I don't know, Boston YMCA, and there's people like, pushing over the fence to get in 
There's a mm-hmm. vibe going on that's not necessarily the revisionist, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. like it, it, it's like, I mean, we still would play the revisionist and stuff like that. And it always sounds good. Um, I don't think Chris took it personally at all. And I don't think I think that we all just like sort of I mean, what's the next song he fucking writes, man, is fucking Great Lakes, Great Escapes. It's like, obviously. There was just like that conscious notion of like, we just overall, like, we've seen Hot Water Music every night. We've seen Against Me every night. You know, we've done a tour with D4. We could do this. And I mean, all these bands are big at the time, you know, and like bigger than us. And, you know, we're watching Rise Against blow past us and everything like that. And and Mm -hmm. so, and I think there was like a bit of a notion that was like, We could, you know, it's like what I've always said about Oak Calcutta. Like, we could make the album we always wanted to hear when we were young, and retroactively, it will make all these songs understandable to people. Mm -hmm. And, you Mm -hmm. know, we'll never have to deal with fucking standing in front of, like, I don't know. You you understand what I'm saying? It's like, I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, it's only. It's only after Greatest Story came out that people were like, Apathy was great. It's only after O Calcutta came out that people were like, Greatest Story is great. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And it's only after uh, Skeleton Coast that people said Metropole is great. Um, you know? Yeah. But, like, that's just how the world works, I guess. But, um, yeah, it was just, like, time for a new chapter, and I think we were invigorated by all of that and like wanted to do something a little bit more like aggressive and exciting. And, uh, that was, if not the catalyst, at least, um, like a street sign going like, yeah, this way, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, we took it in our own direction, like did it our way. And now we're a much cooler band than all of them. (laughs) (laughs) Um, this was, the first time in a while in in getting prepared for one of these episodes that I spent a lot of time reading interviews you did around this time. And I think that this period of time is really where your reputation starts to precede you. You were becoming known for your, you know, quote unquote, on stage antics your uh, <laughs> your drinking habit um and your ability to talk some real good shit on stage um i i think that that's something that is one of the unspoken uh things that you kind of bring into the falcon is that your like equity in punk is almost greater than like the Lawrence arms at this time. Is that something you were like aware of? (laughs) If you're talking about my personal brand, uh, (laughs) that that, that term didn't really exist back then. So like, it would be hard to, no, I don't, I don't think so. I think that like, um, 
I don't know. I don't really know. No, I mean, I, I think I was just, no, I don't think I like was thinking about like the branding of the Falcon or something that I would be like, that I would be really like bringing a whole ton of like, um, exciting accoutrement to the table or anything like that. I felt more like I was in a band with a guy from rise against and a guy from the Alkaline trio and, uh, the best drummer in the world, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And then I'm also there, but I write the songs, <laughs> so I get to stay. <laughs> um, so, and then what's Toby's relationship with you all at this point? Is he tour managing? Is he mm. still at fat? Toby's still at fat. Um, and me and Toby are talking all the time. He's, um, man, it might, this kind of thing, the timeline is so confusing to me, but Toby was still at fat for sure, because there was a good period of time, I think, where he worked at fat and Red Scare existed. I think. Uh-huh. I'm almost positive, because I think that this was, if, if he still worked at Fat, it was coming to the end, right? Um, and he was just somebody that I talked to every day on the phone, like mm. all the time, you know. And um, he was not tour managing us yet. I can't remember who tour managed us on that European tour. That's crucial. But it wasn't Toby. That Jordan, whole... probably. Okay. Huh? That tour was a, like Fat like package tour it was you rise against mad caddies and the flip sides yes yes we all shared well mad caddies had their own bus and the rest of us shared another bus maybe it was maxner no it wasn't maxner mad caddies had their own bus that's a wild world wild world the mad caddies are huge in europe huge yeah um, I guess they're part of that. When you talk about like Fat Records being huge in Europe, Mad mm-hmm. Caddies are like right in that wheelhouse, right? Fuck yeah, uh, absolutely, hundred percent. And also like ska being huge in Europe, uh huh. You know, just like goofy, like bright orange T-shirts and shit, like stuff that like doesn't really fly here. That, like yeah. over there, it's huge. You know, like <laughs> they love that shit. Um, <laughs> Oh, God damn it. This is going to make me so crazy. I might even have to text Neil right now and ask him who was tour managing on that fucking tour. Or if maybe Juan just tour managed us? I don't know. Hold on. You do that. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back. God, Brendan, it was so nice hearing from you and Matt, Marty, and friend of the show, Derek Grant, talking about the state of Vermont on your other podcast, They Come to America. Yeah, man, it was really fun. That's a pretty good one, I think. Um, uh, Derek's definitely a great storyteller, and he had some um, 
some really good information about Vermont, um, specifically the Vermont Teddy Bear uh, Factory Call Center, which I think is uh, <laughs> some really weird things going on there. Um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah, um, that's a that's that's a podcast called They Come to America that I am on. It's about each of the great fifty states, and it's available wherever you get podcasts. Did you tell Derek that he's famous on our Patreon for reasons other than being Derek Grant of the Falcon, Wandering Birds, and the Alkaline Trio? He's not the Falcon. He's just in the Wandering Birds. He is in the Wandering Birds, yeah, but not the Falcon. Um, but he is in the Alkaline Trio. He was in the Suicide Machines. Yeah, I heard of um, that. Yeah. Um, almost in the Misfits. Almost in the Misfits. He's also in a band called... I can't remember. Who cares? Um, so it's not a good day for my memory, um, which is good considering we're talking about something about 20 years old. Uh, <laughs> love it. It's perfect. It's like I'm at a marathon and I'm like, today my endurance is nothing. Uh, <laughs> well, of course, uh, um, I, I, I allude to a picture that we posted of Derek on our Patreon, patreon.com slash better sandwich, where we also just posted a demo of Coyote Crown by the Lawrence Arms, available only on our Patreon, patreon.com slash better sandwich. That shit sounded good. First demo from the new record. Chris knows how to do it. Turns out. You should be a professional musician someday. While listening to that song in that form, uh, listening to just one guitar, take it home with that tone, too, that's like just off a little bit from where it is on the record. I hear some BK harmonies in there, too. That sound very nice. Yeah, well, I'm, not on, I'm not on that demo at all. I could have sworn I heard you singing along. Yeah, man, I, you know, actually, I do a lot more singing on those Tinkler sessions than I did on the final record. There was, there was sort of a, sort of a tacit understanding in the room that I should stop singing, so (laughs) I don't know how how else to say it, you know, like, I kind of got that vibe from those three, they're like, eh, yeah, we, enough already with the singing everything. So, (laughs) so, you know, but they exist on that, um, in that form. And I mean, there's like the, I really think that the dead man's coat one is the most different. Um, and in that one, I sing quite a bit under Paris. I sing quite a bit. I sang a lot more on all of them, to be honest. Uh, well, if if it's all right with you, I told the patrons that we'd share another one with them next week i hope that's all that's all right i didn't want to bother you with the the frivolous details yeah yeah that sounds great sounds great thank you for letting me um live in my in my penthouse mansion unmolested by the needs <laughs> of the common folk <laughs> i uh i had mikey ergon better yet uh this past week also. excellent he's um spectacular dude um 
Interesting fact about Mikey Erg. Better yet, by the way, is um, Tim's other podcast, Spectacular, longer form interview show. Um, and um, it's available wherever you get podcasts as well, I think. It's um, back on Spotify. Back on Spotify. Good. That was my one question. But uh, Mikey Erg, here's an interesting factoid about Mikey Erg. I don't know if he told you. You know, Mikey Erg used to be like a chubby little guy, and then now mm-hmm. he's like, very skinny guy. Do you know why that is? No. Um, from what I know, okay, this is like, uh, what, what's it called? Causality versus um, <laughs> coincidence, yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess. Uh-huh. Right? Um, I just know that he. there was a time, like when I knew him, that the only thing he ate was chicken nuggets. He had never had a burrito. <laughs> and then I, I believe it was Patty from D4 that was like, you never had a burrito? Okay, we're going to get burritos right now. You know, like, uh-huh. and sort of uh, broke him out of the chicken nugget addiction that I think he was, uh, you know, very deep in. <laughs> you know, he, he was like Sicario in that shit. <laughs> uh, Mikey... Big fan of this show, also. Shout oh, out, to cool. Mikey. Um, well, I'm a big fan of Mikey, so that that is really great. When my glasses arrive, everybody will see how much a big fan of Mikey I am. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, back to God don't make trash, and um, Brandon, I think we kind of made it clear just the way that things fell into place, but. For my own sake and for yes. our email's sake at brandonkellypodcast at gmail.com. Starts with you and Todd. The fact that Neil joins the band, it makes sense. Drummers, unless you're Spinal Tap or the Alkaline Trio, you don't really let them go. But Chris is not in the Falcon. Um, that's correct. Yeah. Um, and for one thing, for what thing, Chris ended up in the Falcon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, and, uh, for another, like it, it was supposed to be a departure from like the idea of like me and Chris bouncing off each other to see like where that would kind of go. And like, you know, like Sundowner was sort of a thing that was like starting to happen. Like Neil and Chris had put out that song Criminal, I think, right around then. That was like the first song on the Lawrence Arms MySpace page. Mm-hmm. Um, We've talked about that on Patreon as well. Probably still is. Probably still is the first song on the Lawrence Arms MySpace page, <laughs> uh, if I had to guess. Uh, and um, it, I think there was just like, by the time we hit Europe... We were a little bit cashed. Like, you know, we've been doing a lot, a lot of touring. And um, and what what year did you say that the Europe tour was? You said it's 2004. Yeah, okay, that makes a lot of sense. So we've been touring our greatest story. It was going okay. Um, We had not yet toured with Hot Water Music because... Todd showed us 
the song Trusty Chords, I think, on that tour. Okay. Um, so I just, just a little, like, I remember that. I remember, yeah, because I didn't hear that song live first. I heard that song with Todd in the fucking uh, lounge of the bus uh, for, for the first time. And we were going to go on tour with them, but we didn't know them, I think. I, that, I'm filling in some blanks here. I don't like remember this so much, but what I think was we were going to go on tour with them. Todd was a big fan. Uh-huh. They had just put out a new album. He was like, their new album was really great. We listened to it anyway. Um, and, uh, so we were just, I think we were just a little burnt and we hadn't yet had that infusion of the hot water music tour. Mm-hmm. that like really changed our attitude about a lot of things. Uh huh. You know, and I mean, at a certain point, like, what's the fucking point? If I'm going to start a new band, like, with Chris, where we both sing, Neil's the drummer, <laughs> like, it doesn't make a whole ton of sense, you know? And, um, it, you know, I know it's like a, it's a weird thing, I guess, kind of. I, I, I see where it could be seen as a weird thing, and I, like, exclusionary like club stuff like mm-hmm. in a circle of friends is always bound to be like a tricky thing to navigate yeah um but like i said chris ended up in the falcon eventually um uh, so like i don't think it was that much of a pain and i think probably if anything it got me off his ass about stuff <laughs> you know so uh-huh. um but but yeah um i don't know I don't exactly know, but there was like never a thought of that. It was always like, it was just like, it was pure, like me being just so infatuated with Todd, you know, and just wanting to be in a band with him so bad. Mm-hmm. So that was the main, the main yeah. thing. Todd is, is someone we get a lot of questions about too. Um, aside from Europe, I know that Todd comes into the band, um, around revolutions per minute but had you met him before um and i guess like aside from just being like the coolest guy like what what was it about todd that clicked with you so well oh and and then your you know connections to the old world like <laughs> both your ancestors yeah, well, both so held like, off augustus at some point i i told i um i'd met todd like at the whipple house a few times, which is the house that Neil and Tim from Rise Against lived in. Mm-hmm. And, um, it, like, I'd met, like, a lot of their, like, weird, heavily tattooed, straight-edge friends, you know? And, like, he just kind of was one of those guys to mm-hmm. me. But it was, like, when he came on stage and he just, like, became electric. That was, like, a whole different thing. And on that tour, he had just started drinking, too. And, like, nobody in Rise Against really drank. I mean, Brandon did, the drummer, but... Um. So immediately that when I'm like, dude, we got to start a band, and he's like, "Do you want to have a beer?" <laughs> you know, and it was just kind of like over from there, and we were good buds. Um, and uh, and yeah, um, I don't know. It was just like his like swagger and attitude and stuff, like really informed like the way the Falcon ended up sounding quite a bit, even though he did only play on this first 
tiny EP, you know? Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't know. It was just like, you know, like you certain people you meet and you're just like, all right, we're buds. Okay. We're going everywhere together. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like I mean, on that tour one day, me and Todd are walking. <laughs> it was great. It was in Barcelona and we're both, we're on the beach. We both have huge beards and we're wearing jeans and tennis shoes and we're shirtless mm-hmm. and we're walking on the beach, like through the sand and, um, Around us is just naked models everywhere. Yeah. You know, and like, we're just, well, and Todd was like, this is great. I've got a joint of hash. We should smoke it. And I was like, yeah, okay, that sounds great. And we're smoking it and we're like standing there probably looking like you probably could have taken a photograph of us and won a Pulitzer with it. Like it was just like, (laughs) we were just like these two like disgusting, like blackened towers of filth like surrounded by just beauty uh-huh. and uh and i was like i don't think that this could get any better personally <laughs> and then this woman walked by and she's like cerveza one euro and we were like no <laughs> <laughs> you know so we bought the, we bought some beer too. That was good. Um, that's that's the whole story. <laughs> Fantastic. So you come home and you make this record, or I guess Toby hears about it and he's like, "Oh, you're doing a band with uh, famous people. I'll put yes. that record label out." Yeah, he said, or I'll put said, that record out. He said, I want to be a part of this. I'll start a record label to put that out. And I said, well, I'll put it out with you if I can be part of the record label. Mm-hmm. And he was like, yeah, for sure. Done deal. And so that's like the birth of Red Scare right there. You know? And um, as I've said before, I mean, Toby does pretty much everything. I am, especially in like pandemic times, my role has been greatly minimized because I can't go out to shows and talk to bands and stuff like that, which is sort Mm of, I do like the more of like the queen of England thing where I go out and people are like, Oh, I know who you are. And I go, would you like to be on a record label? I work with. And they'd be like, yes. And I'd be like, okay, here's Toby. He'll do everything from now, from now on, you know? Um, I believe that's called glad handing, right? Uh, no, glad handing is when you say something nice, even though you mean you don't mean it. Oh, okay. Um, no, My it's bad. called being an A and R person. I uh-huh. think. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, and also like you know, keeping my ear to the ground, talk, like finding bands and stuff like that. But it's hard now because you don't see bands. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that was the birth of Red Scare, and then, but as it happens. When you start a label from nothing, the budgets for that very first record, extremely small. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, you know, I had to write the songs. And I sat down to write them with the idea of like, 
what do I think the Falcon sounds like? What do I think a band called the Falcon with Todd in it and me in it and Dan in it and Neil in it sounds like? Mm-hmm. You know, like what's that attitude? And these first five were the, well, I mean, they ended up being the blueprint for the band, but they were also like, I mean, as much as anything, they're a writing exercise in terms of like, uh, I'm imagining what a band that doesn't exist sounds like. Mm-hmm. They already had a, you know, already had a name and already had members and had no songs. Yeah. You know? So it was pretty interesting and actually can't recommend it highly enough. That's, that's a, uh, that's a good way. That's a good way to, uh, actually that's, a, that's also a songwriting exercise I use a lot where I think of a band that I like, don't really know what they sound like, but I have an idea of what I think they sound like. Yeah. I try to write a song in that yeah. vein. That's not an uncommon uh, thing for me to do. I just read um, the book about Robert Pollard and Guided by Voices uh, called Closer You Are, and he used to make collages that were album covers for bands that he made up, and he had track listings on them, and he just had this huge collection of them, and then he would just like write songs that were for that band and a lot of those songs would just end up getting incorporated into guided by voices i think that's so fucking cool that is cool it's very interesting i fucking hate guided by voices i hate those guys i hate them personally i hate them as people um you just hate doug gillard because he got mad at you at the metro yep that's right and i hate anybody that it would be in a band with him uh <laughs> Although those guys are so old and they've done so many records, I'm sure that nobody hates him more than the guys in his band. Uh. <laughs> it, it is crazy reading a book about a guy who's just like clearly a dick. He's just a dick. That's the only way this band works is that this guy's an asshole. But it's well, it is what it is. Yeah. Well. So yeah, but so. <laughs> So that's where I like kicked off these songs. And I think the first the first one was either the the first song on the record or the last one. I'm not sure. Um but those were the first two. Um Yeah. Um I think that you know either of those makes a lot of sense for uh being like the initial falcon because it's kind of like you got all the components right there there's a lot of swaggering going on in those two tracks Mm -hmm. like i I like i mean in the asshole parade song it says we got it going on that's not something that like makes it into a lot of like modest punk songs mm-hmm. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. and uh, like, but it is something that makes it into like when when you <clears throat> are sort of like building a persona of a band and you're like we want to be like just dick 
swinging punk rockers that are the best band in the world were the fucking Falcon. How about that? Mm. You know, it's like, yeah, why? Of course, you say we got it going on in the fucking bridge of the song. Yeah, and I feel like the big, you know, oh well, oh well, or just the oh, oh, <laughs> there's yeah. like such a like stadium rock energy to it like we're just here we want the whole place on their feet singing along basically the opposite of a lawrence arms show at this point right yeah i mean like the thing is this ended up informing a lot of things i did with the uh with my songwriting in the lawrence arms and but this was a an exercise in like sort of bombast when even like my like really aggressive songs on great story were so like couched in like a artful sort of intentionality, whether or not they come across as sounding really artful or not. Mm. Um, you know, something like, um, March of the elephants. Yeah. I mean, like those lyrics yeah. are like fucking weird as hell. And then there's that like fucking, breakdown it's like designed to be challenging to the audience or whatever you know and this was like "Mm -mm, no no we're telling the audience that we are awesome and that's what we're doing with every single note of this music you know (laughs) so it was a really different mental um exercise i guess could i say the word exercise more please (laughs) uh no it's it's like i mean i think that there's something magical to you listen to these songs and you envision someone like walking into the room for the first time and not knowing this band, every song on this record that person could sing along to at a point because there's a part or there's a, you know, there's something that repeats enough to where you're just in. Right. Right. Yeah, it is. The idea of like accessibility and like sort of like just like the soaring like big middle finger in your face kind of like the who huh kind of like vibe, you know, that uh that was really I just really just like built into the spirit of the band, you know, and that that was like before before we had any songs, like that was the shit. Mm-hmm. You know. <laughs> like it was like like that's that's what it is. It's like a dirty fucking punk rock band with like a fucking punk rock slash in it and two dead twins. <laughs> so So it says uh in the liner notes, hilariously mixed and produced for zero dollars in just some of the following locations. Brendan's living room, Dan's living room, Atlas Studios, Alkaline Trio practice space, the Rise Against practice space. When you talk about having little to no budget, that would be what we're talking about right here. Yes. So, Neil, once once the song, once the demos were all, like, done, he would send me something. And then he came over to my house and recorded me playing the rhythm guitar and we had so his drums from was it say his studio or his house 
Um, it says Atlas Studios. Oh no, yeah. So he he had he got Atlas, um, and because he was working there at the time, so he went in there like after hours, mm-hmm. recorded these drum parts, um, and then actually maybe I played the guitar with him at Atlas. I don't remember doing that, but that seems likely if he was going in there recording. And I mean, you know. Just as a scratch song. track. Yeah, but I think, and also probably the actual track. Um, but so that was like after hours, probably unbeknownst to Matt Allison. Definitely unbeknownst to Matt Allison. Really? Uh, uh-huh. Yeah. And then... You don't think at we, this point he would have just let you? Not at this point, no. I don't think so. Um, and So funny. And then, at, uh, and then we sent... The stuff to. Oh, and then we went over to my house and I recorded the vocals. Uh huh. Right. Um. In my living room. And then we sent it to Dan and Todd, and then um, Dan came back with the bass lines and like, I don't know if he did any backing vocals on this record or not. Yeah, I, I think he did maybe. Um, it's not credited, but mm, maybe. Yeah, no, maybe he didn't. He just probably put bass on it. Uh-huh. I mean, he was also busy with the Alkaline Trio at this time. And then was um, he in Florida too? Mm, God, that right. is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all. Good. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't fucking know about that. But, um, but then we sent it to Todd. And funny thing about Todd, he had just been fucking. He kind of like kicked himself out of rise against he uh-huh. like they got into a thing where he was like well that's it you don't want me in the band and they were like i don't know what you're talking about we were just saying we wish you'd hung out with us more and he was like i get it so i'm out of the band and they were like um what do you, uh-huh. <laughs> you know like, like it, it was just like this uh-huh. fucking like where i think like probably like there was like hurt feelings you know like on both sides and i don't think that i've ever heard the story the way it really is you know what i mean mm-hmm. but from what I've heard, and I've, this is t- as close as I remember to to use a band name, the Tim version. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's what Tim Macrath. That's kind of the way he told me it went down, and um, I. I, I I kind of see it, I guess. I don't know. Like, I think that Todd had a lot of other, like, aspirations and shit like that. Um, he's a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. He's also, like, a like super distance biker uh, huh. now. But, um, and I haven't spoken to Todd in 15 years. But um, I, I saw him on Facebook the other day or something. And uh, um, so, sorry. Waiting for my brain to catch up with my mouth. Um, <laughs> so Todd actually had to break into the Rise Against practice space to record his guitar parts. <laughs> <laughs> so if if there's something punker than that, I'd like to hear what it is. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, and. Yeah, that's how the record was made, man. Um, and then I think Neil mixed it. 
You've got the liner notes in front of you, probably. Yeah, um, we got Neil. Nix, it's mixed once by Neil and once again by Dan, which I yeah. find is so yes. cute. Yeah, Nick. I think I think Dan was like, I don't think this mix is quite right, which is classic Daniel. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I mean, like this experience was just so fucking fun. And it was just like so renegade and like coming off of like the entire fucking world of us. I mean, like the Lawrence Arms at this time did not have a place in this like great upswing of popularity that all our friends were having. You know, like we mm-hmm. weren't like against me. We weren't like rise against, you know, like this wasn't happening for us. Right. And and so it was frustrating. And like, I think that, uh, you know, starting the Falcon was in one sense a way to take the pressure off the Lawrence arms um, because we just didn't have to be like spinning that same hamster wheel all the time. And like we could just accept that we were just a band, you know, and which mm-hmm. when we came back, that became the thing that would ultimately propel us to achieve that same success, you know, whatever fucking years later. Yeah. Uh, right. Like that was that was the defining factor of our band. It's like these guys are like just a band, <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm. it's like if if you and me could play guitar. You know, like that, that kind of thing. But um, but that was still far away, you know. And um, and so getting into the Falcon and being able to like, you know, be with like these people that were in these like up and coming or not even up and coming, up and came uh, famous bands and, and being like me driving the ship after all the frustration of, uh, you know, sort of watching – like, and I'm not talking about these, like, my friends at all. But when I, like, countless bands just, like, rise through the stratosphere from autumn to ashes. Perfect example. You know, mm-hmm. like, just seeing this happen over and over again with these, like, bands. Where I, and and it's like, eh, fuck it. You know what? Like, uh, like we're the best. You either know it or you don't. Like, yeah, l- completely lick a dick if you don't. You know, we recorded this for no money, um, <laughs> like Diamonds and Thugs or whatever the fuck that song is called. <laughs> uh, it, it's a transplant song, right? Mm-hmm. What is it? Yeah. Gangst- gangsters and Thugs. It's like, you know, like some of my friends sell records, some of my friends sell drugs. <laughs> but the idea was like... Um, yeah, I'm singing this shit and like, like none of us, none of us care about this at all. Like, this is just like, we're breaking into practice spaces to record this shit. And like, here you go on a record label. You never fucking heard of five songs, 10 song titles. Boom. Yeah. And I think that like, you know, when I brought up earlier, your reputation was starting to precede you. I think the aspect of you were talking shit about other bands and (laughs) i think that this accomplished 
something more out of that energy. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, the thing is, uh, yeah, I did talk some shit about other I, I, You know, I, I don't mean to... I think that you... No, I, I didn't talk too much shit. Like, what? I talked shit about, what, um, Dashboard Confessional... Um, I talked a little shit about. <laughs> there was one that was really funny about um, that band Vendetta Red. Do you remember that band? They were like oh, a major label yeah. plant, and you're mm-hmm. like, "Look, you look like fucking SR seventy <laughs> one two years later." <laughs> yeah, Vendetta Red. That's funny. Oh uh, yeah, no, I used to talk a lot of shit. That's true. Um, <laughs> I still do, but I used to, too. And there are great words of Mitch Hedberg. Um, <laughs> um, it, was a, yeah. it was a good act, I think. I mean, it, at the time, it just got me in trouble. And, it, like, the the vibe was more or less... I don't know who this loser is, and I've never heard of his fucking band. And who cares what he has to say? Uh-huh. You know, that was, like the overwhelming uh, response to that kind of thing. But I was just writing a blog, man, you know, like, <laughs> like, and, and I was like writing it in relative and not anonymity because yeah, nobody knew my band and nobody knew who I was. And it was like, it was fine, you know? Mm-hmm. And then I don't know, like punk news started like publishing my shit and that's sort of, ah, God, I don't know this. Maybe this is apocryphal or whatever, but, Punk News published my shit because, you know, it's like they follow a lot of bands and like Slapstick, the Broadways, so the Lawrence Arms, like they at least I'm on the radar. Mm-hmm. And then something like this guy talks shit about Yellow Card ends up on their website and then a thousand people um, trash talk me for talking shit about yellow card mm-hmm. even though i never said anything really truly bad about yellow card um and then those people get like one year older and don't like yellow card anymore and then they're still punk news readers and then all of a sudden my bullshit attitude back then becomes kind of the blueprint of what would become the punk news like shit talking i hate everything attitude <laughs> I'm not saying I'm responsible for it in any measure, but I'm saying that, like, uh, I think it was a parallel pathing sort of situation. Yeah. 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 And I think... Oh, I've also had people blame me to my face for the attitude that pervades punk news. (laughs) (laughs) Like, that's happened to me more than once. And And I think... I like punk news, and I don't really talk shit about anybody anymore. Um, like it's been yeah decades since I've talked shit about anyone. I mean, unless I try it's to like, get you to do it sometimes, and you won't. Unless it's a Nazi or something like <laughs> yeah. that, I will talk shit about you know Richard Spencer and his fucking tiny Smurf penis. But like uh, other than that, you know, um, you've matured kind of. Well. I just don't feel like hurting people's feelings is funny. And like what it used to be was like a sort of a defense mechanism and a, like a 
a flag in the ground to be like, I'm cooler than this. I just want you to know, you know, that like I got a point of view out here. Uh-huh. And then I realized I don't give a fuck if you know what my point of view is. <laughs> and it's like, this guy's not fucking hurting anybody by being in fucking da- dashboard confessional. Like, okay, so I don't, I'm not a fan. It's not like he's actively trying to harm me with these songs, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So like, it just, at a certain point, it's like, eh, it's not for me. You know? I remember when I learned the phrase, it's not for me. It really turned my whole thing around. Mm. Like, mm-hmm. not like learned it. Of course, I always knew that phrase, but like, lived, learned it. how to employ it mm-hmm. properly. You know? Really, that's, that's the uh, lesson of the day, kids. If, if you're, uh, if you're, if you're, if you're ever in a situation where you're tempted to talk shit about Dashboard Confessional, you can always just say it's not for me. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that, I think that this EP too really encapsulates um, an attitude that to me feels very mid two thousands, and I think what we can do next week is is take that and look at the way punk and that sort of came together in a way yes yeah for sure and i would love to talk about the picture on the back next week as well because it's fucking awesome sounds great to me we appreciate y'all for joining us this week we know we didn't get to the songs. We had we were in a bit of a pinch in terms of uh, recording time this weekend, but I, I don't I don't apologize for a damn thing that we shared over the course of this hour and twenty minutes, my friend. Oh, but I mean that's a real Falcon esque attitude of you. Yeah. So come back next week, or the blood and the frog. See? Yeah. Yeah, nice. Nice. Uh, Well done. Uh, Rate, subscribe on your podcast player of choice. Tell your friends about it. Say, hey, Tim Crisp has a new podcast, and it's with this guy, Brendan. He's been in some bands. Uh, We have a Patreon, patreon.com slash better sandwich. You can hear Lawrence Arms demos. And some long form. Also, a conversation with Dan Andriano, the bass player of the Falcon. Mm-hmm. Which is crazy. It's fucking so crazy. Um, Guitarist of the emergency room. We'll be back next week. We look forward to it. We'll see you then. Thank you, friends. Bye, everybody. <laughs>